Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozeman. I'm mom to two boys, a middle school teacher, a homeschooler, and a writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 39, and welcome to the longest month ever. <laughs> this is like January 56th. I swear to God. And I, I, I looked at my watch at like maybe a two weeks ago, and I was like, oh, look at that. January 9th. I was sure I had like missed all the bills and everything. I, I thought it had to be like the 30th of January. It never ends. And I, I don't know about you, but um, it is so cold here. It started snowing Friday in the middle of the night. It only stopped snowing last night. All it does is snow. It's too cold to walk out of your house. I'm done. I hate January. January is just the worst. Like how do people survive? I don't get it. Well, I have to say, Indiana has been like this weird bubble. And in fact, the last storm, when you looked on the map, there was literally like a little heart-shaped bubble over Indiana. <laughs> and we did not get any of it. Really? <laughs> yeah. We, and in fact, it snowed here just last night. But every snow we've gotten has been like maybe a half an inch. It's like nothing. Yeah, probably not even half an inch. I mean, it's just like, and it'll be melted by the, uh, this afternoon. And we have had cold weather, but nothing bad. Oh, yeah, we don't have that. We're much colder. Like the other day, though, it's been weird. It's only been snowing on the coast. So if you go inland, they don't have snow. But if you stay at our house, we have snow. And it literally just dumped snow, like right on the Cape up to Plymouth, like all the way along. And that's it. That's the only place that snowed. And it didn't snow in the rest of Massachusetts. It didn't snow in the rest of New England. And it did it for two days. We were in a snow dome. Wow. That sounds like lake effect snow in Chicago. It reminds me of that. Ocean effect. Yeah. Like one of our homeschool groups, they still are having two of our homeschool groups. They're still going hiking. They're, and I'm like, who are yeah. these people? I have so much body fat and I can't do it. Oh, I come can't. on now. These people are like, oh, it's only 10 degrees. It's fine. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not. It's There's nothing fine about this. Even my kid, he's like, I'm not going out there. It's cold. Feels like temperature is like one. Okay. If it feels like 40, I'm in. If, even if it feels like 37, I'll go. <laughs> feels like one. I'm not coming. I'm not coming out. I will bake cakes. I will just sit inside and I will just wait for the weather to turn because I cannot deal. I literally cannot deal. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to talk about that at the end when we talk about our pick six, because I've got some things to say about that, but I don't want to jump the guns. <laughs> All right. Keep me alive. Keep me alive. What's new in your lack of the woods besides not getting any snow? Well, we did go skiing on Friday, which was so fun. I did. I see you sent me pictures. Um, dear listeners, it's important to note that Heather sent me pictures while she was like skiing down the slopes like a champ. And I was sitting <laughs> on my butt in a furry blanket in front of the fire. <laughs> and that right there should just tell you everything you need to know about us. The only thing I wasn't having was a cocktail because it was like three in the afternoon. <laughs> I know, right? I could have used one when I got off the slopes. Some grog or something. I can't. I tried skiing once in Vermont. It was terrible. I could it. I hated it. I hated every minute of it. Well, I was a little bit nervous about skiing this time because my little menopausal body is so different now. <laughs> I have like <laughs> different weights in different places that I had. And I was kind of nervous my balance would be messed up, but I made it through without falling. So I, I was feeling pretty good. Yeah. We skied like pretty hard for about three hours and then we were all exhausted because we're all out of terrible shape from the last couple of years. But it takes a lot out of you. Skiing takes a lot of work. Yeah. But I just love it. I love being outside in the cold air 
and uh, the sun was shining. That makes all the difference in the world. It was a great day. And when we talk about skiing, I mean, this isn't like Colorado or something. Skiing Indiana is just like, you know, a cute little hill. I mean, it's enough to keep you going. So it was fun. You know what I can't handle about skiing? I can't what? do the ski lift. I'm too scared. I to do love the ski, the ski lift. And then here, okay, because so lots of people ski here in New England, obviously. People love to ski. And I, I swear to God, at least like once a week, there is some great tragedy in New Hampshire or Vermont that's all over the news. Because, of course, we get the New Hampshire news as well, where people have like somebody's fallen out of the ski lift. Really? And I'm like, this is not going to get me there. I'm sorry, but this is not going to help get me there now. Because if I have to take, and I'm not going to walk up the hill in skis. Hello. Just to ski back down again. There's that makes no sense. That's literally like who's the guy that pushed the boulder up every day oh, yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. But um, yeah, so getting in the ski lift, no, I can't do it. I'm too scared. I, it's like an escalator, but like on crack. I can't. I just can't do it. That's why I'm not. Do they have ski lifts at yours where you go? Yeah, they have ski lifts. Um, it was funny. So this was the first time my baby sister went skiing. She went with us and she had never done it before. She was a champ. Wait, she'd never done it before? She'd never done it before. And she just picked she just, it up. Like, jumped right on and was fine. Oh my gosh, she was. She's very athletic though. Sports have always been her thing. So um, yeah, she, I mean, we, I spent like, three runs on the bunny slope with her. And then I was like, okay, well, do you want to try the next one up? And in fact, it was like just what I needed to get warmed up and back into skiing. And then she was already off and running and she was doing like this long run that we like to do all the time. And she, yeah, it was crazy. Um, but the first time she got in the lift, she was like, oh, there's no bar. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. No, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. You just have to sit back and Relax. Hope for the best and hope that the giant, <laughs> the, the giant boards dangling from your feet don't somehow catch wind and throw you off. I mean, seriously, whose idea was this? But you just went last year, right? You just went in Colorado last year. So uh, in 2020. Yeah. Right before the pandemic, we went skiing. Oh, that was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Everything's a blur. In Colorado, they have a combination lifts because they have enclosed cars, you know, that you have to take your skis off and get into to get halfway up the mountain. And then they'll have like normal lifts the rest of the time. But because they're, I mean, it's such a long way to get up the mountain. And, uh, and I, I have to say though, I kind of like the, just the seat lifts so much better because like when we were in, um, Chamonix in France in the Alps in Mont Blanc. Um, the cars you have to ride on there, they pack you in there and it was just terrifying. Like <laughs> and you're like, yeah, exactly. And you're like hanging off this sheer face cliff with like one tiny cable. And I'm like, you know, I'll take my tiny little chairlift in Indiana any day over this. It was terrifying. Yeah. So even though you're enclosed, I don't think that it didn't feel safer. So <laughs> I can barely like make it over a bridge going on to on and off the Cape. I can't even imagine like going <laughs> up a sheet. Like I can't. I have so many issues yeah. with like hanging in midair. It's just not my jam. I would never have been Spider-Man. It's so funny because I'll think about that when we rode the thing up to Mont Blanc and I still scared. And I'm like, we made it up and we made it back down. We're all safe. We're home. But it still scares me to think about it. It was terrifying. But they did tell us like that one time it got stuck and they had to helicopter people off of it. That happens a lot. That's not like a one shot deal. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't even imagine like having to open the door and there's nothing beneath you for miles. <laughs> and there's a guy hanging off a helicopter rope and he has to pull you out and take you up. Oh, I mean, oh my I'm God. I'm here to help. 
no, no. <laughs> sounds terrifying. There's no way. There's absolutely <laughs> no way. No, I can't. I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to stay inside until it gets warm and I can walk outside on two feet again <laughs> and then do like outdoor things like that. That's it. I'm a giant Frady cat. I'm Frady. I'm a Frady cat that's getting worse with age. And which is my segue wow. into as I was reading this book for this week. I was like, yep, this is every panic I have wrapped up into one book. Oh, for this. No. I was like, yep, yep, can't. Now it's even worse. Like me, I hold on to these books. And as soon as I'm in a position, like on the water in a boat again, every single thing that I just read in this oh, book yeah. this It'll year come will come back, back to, to me. And I'll be like, mm-hmm, yep, can't, can't do it again. Yeah, yeah, great. No. So that's why I thought it was really important that we chose books about pirates and sea monsters and scary things that lurk in the deep. Good job on my end, right? Hey, it's supposed to psychologically help you work through your fears, right? Isn't that the whole point of reading scary things? It did not. It helped bring the fears to the front. It does not help me. (laughs) It just makes them even larger, larger than they were before. All right. So I guess we complained and we complained. Should we jump into these books? All right. Let's get started. Before we get started, I have a quick question. What? Oh, I know pirates shower before they walk the plank. Why? Because they'll just wash up on shore later. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say these are like bad dad jokes, but they're bad mom jokes. <laughs> they're so me. My kids are always like, oh my God, mom, these are so bad. I do these things to them all the time. And they're like, you are such a dork. Yes, I am. I love it. Proud of it. Groaners. They are groaners. All right. So, all right. (laughs) Tell me about your book. What book did you read? I read The Extremely Inconvenient Adventures of Bronte Metalstone by Jacqueline Moriarty. Uh, This book came out in 2018. So, it's been out for a little while. And I know our theme was pirates, but this is kind of one of those books, again, where it was kind of pirate adjacent. (laughs) Like there are pirates in this book, but the story is not about the pirates. But it was such a fun read. So the main character, Bronte, is 10 years old when she receives a telegram stating that her parents have been killed by pirates. Well, that's that's interesting that the pirates stopped to send a telegram. Excuse me. Your parents. What? So that's what starts the whole book. I mean, it really sucks you in because it's just the voice and everything's really fun. So Bronte has been living with her aunt Isabella since she was uh, a baby because her parents just dropped her on her aunt's doorstep. And Bronte doesn't know her parents. There's some quality parroting happening in this book. I know. It's really good. Yeah. So it's probably like every middle school kid's dream. But anyway, she's kind of like struggling to feel their loss because she doesn't really know them. And then they go, they're summoned by the lawyer to go to his office and the will is read. And the her parents left her in this will really strict instructions for her to visit her 10 other aunts on her dad's side all of his sisters, and they're supposed to give each of them a gift. And her mom is um, an only child and she like doesn't have family. So that's why it's kind of all about her dad's family. Um, And then she has to, so she has to take this journey alone. Her aunt Isabel is freaking out. She's like, I can't, she can't travel alone. She's only 10, blah, blah, you know, right. all this stuff, right? So thank God we have Aunt Isabel to be the voice of reason. I know, which everyone's right? going to ignore, but whatevs. But every letter of the will has to be followed because it's bound with fairy magic. And if she doesn't follow it, because the fairy magic will destroy her hometown. 
So she has to do everything in this will and Aunt Isabel can't do anything about it. So Bronte is forced to leave on her own um, to complete the will's instructions. So this, of course, starts her on this crazy adventure that's filled with every kind of magical being and challenges you can think of. I mean, this book is so packed with stories. So basically... Each place she goes, each aunt she visits has its own like unique story and something at a unique adventure happens to her there. And also at each place she goes, like her aunts are grieving for the loss of her parents. So she gets to know her parents a little bit better. And each gift she gives her aunts has a story behind it that the aunt tells her about her parents then. Okay. And it's it's really cool because each aunt is so different. Each household she visits is so different. Each adventure she has at each one is so different. Like not all the aunts are like sweet and bubbly and happy. I mean, some of them are cranky. Some of them are depressed. I mean, it's just like so so packed. This book is crazy with everything that's in it. Is it a long book? Is it like a really yes. big book? Okay. Incredibly long. It's like 400 pages. Ooh, you know, I don't like those big ones. I know. I was a little bit like, oh no, what did I get myself into? And in fact, I did. I read half of it and listened to half of it because I couldn't spend that much time laying around doing nothing. So yeah. Um. So I listened to half of it too, which was a blast. The actor or the voice actor who did the book I mean, there are so many characters in this book that the voice actor was really challenged to have to come up with sort of different like accents and slants on each character because to make them sort of stand out because there are so many characters, but it was really fun. So, um, I mean, like she say, uh, Bronte saves a baby in one story. She rides a dragon. She starts an avalanche, like just she all the be exhausted. I know, I know. Well, she's probably got jet lag from the time zone issues. <laughs> Yeah. So during the adventure, she begins to have more confidence in herself because she was raised by her Aunt Isabel, who kind of protected her from everything. And so she starts to kind of become really confident in herself and starts dealing with her own grief and loss kind of of her parents throughout the story. So this is definitely like high fantasy um, it has a very strong, humorous voice. And in fact, um, I saw that Arthur Levine was the editor of this book who signed this uh, author. And he is all about voice. So I knew it would have like a really fun, strong voice when I saw that. Uh-huh. I met him once at a, he came to a, a writer's conference here in Indiana and he's I don't know. I just was fascinated with him. Like my life goals is to one day write a book worthy of him because he was such a fascinating person and he's all about the voice. So, um, and this uh, is the first book I've read by Moriarty, which I'm kind of surprised because I really loved it and I haven't come across her before, but she has a lot of books out. She's an Australian author, but she has like sort of that, well, Australian authors a lot of times will also have that sort of British vibe, you know, Yeah. like I definitely think anybody who liked the hat maker. It made me think of the hat makers. That's what I was thinking of too. And even a little bit of like green glass house. It kind of had that like strong voice, funny adventure, crazy stuff happening. Um, the high fantasy element. And you know, some of the themes are like, you know, it's kind of, you see her slowly going through the stages of grief, even though that's not like totally front and center it's there, which I thought was really cool. The importance of family and then just learning to trust yourself and have confidence in yourself. Cause obviously by the end, all all the things that she's learned and struggled with and all the adventures she has come in handy at the end, which has a very, it has a very satisfying ending. Do the pirates show up again? Yes, there are. So okay. she gets chased by pirates about halfway through when she's visiting two ants who run a cruise ship. <laughs> that happened to me once. I got chased by pirates on the Cape. I was coming out of P-Town. I'm like, are those pirates? Oh, those are just queens. Never mind. <laughs> 
And uh, I totally, but that makes me think I totally want to dress up for as <laughs> pirates for this episode, but <laughs> we need to put your uh, costuming skills to use one of these days. And Right. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. And then there are pirates in the end too. So there are pirates there and she actually, and she befriends a, a, a kid who was a pirate who ran away because he didn't like how violent they were and stuff. I would have been that kid. <laughs> I would have literally been that kid. Like, seriously, why so violent? That's with the anger. His story was so cute too, because like he says how that he was protected until he turned 12, I think, you know, living like in the hull of the ships and with his friends and they all had so much fun. And then when he was 12, he, he went into training to become a full-fledged pirate. And he said he couldn't wait to do it. And then when he found out what the pirates did, he was like, oh no, <laughs> like my families are terrible people. And, and she was like, well, you didn't know what pirates were. And he's like, well, no, you just, you know, your family, you think they're great people. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, they murder and steal. <laughs> he was like, so then he ran away. I like that when that happens on Dateline too. You're like, oh, wait, my uncle Henry was actually a murderer. Mm, fascinating. <laughs> Gives life excitement. <laughs> Who would you give this book to? Who would you recommend this book for? Um, I would say I would do like third or fourth graders, even though it's like a huge book and some of the language is a little bit more complicated. The story itself, I think would appeal more to like third, fourth, fifth graders, a little bit lower okay. middle grade. Um, I mean, not that a seventh or eighth grader wouldn't enjoy it, but I think it might seem a little bit babyish to them. I don't know. Well, the main character is 10. So yeah, that makes yeah. More sense. And I was kind of surprised because in middle grade, you know, they're always 12 and they do emphasize several times that she's almost 11. But, and I thought, oh, they must've done that for the American market because <laughs> we're yeah. used to 11, 12, 13 in middle grade. And that's sort of a requirement. So in fact, I just read a thing the other day, they were like, you know, middle grade must haves. And it was like, the character has to be 11, 12 or 13. You're push, You can't do any other age. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then I'm reading a book. Yeah. I, I think that's part of why the American middle grade system isn't working quite so well. Yeah. that's <laughs> You can't just tell people what they need to write and what people want to read. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what, yeah, that's the problem. So that's why you, I like that she's an Australian writer because she's coming at it from a different perspective and not this sort of this tainted American viewpoint. Right. Well, and um, I felt like her being 10 was an integral part of the story as well, because like people kept um, overestimating her age, like, cause she seen as she became more confident and while mm-hmm. she was traveling alone, they started, she, they always were like, Oh, I thought you were older, you know? And I thought that was kind of the point was that she is younger and, and, and then also just the way that her being a little bit younger allows her to deal with some of the stresses she's under, I thought was really good too. So, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. It was, the voice was excellent. It drew me right in. Where was the, like, where does it start? Like, what's the geographical location of this? It has its own, there's a, like map. a whole like nondescript world. Yeah. It, it has a map and everything at the beginning, which I always love books that have maps. Um, so yeah, it's just a nondescript world. Some of the places sound very Australian or British, um, but it's its own world. Very cute. Interesting. That was The Extremely Inconvenient Adventures of Bronte Metalstone by Jacqueline Moriarty. Very good. And of course, the cover is beautiful. I love it. It's so you. The cover is like this. this the style is very, very you. And as as my cover is very, very me with this <laughs> giant. It's dark. It's dark and, and murky and depressing. And it's got a giant toothy sea monster on the front. And mine's happy and bright. And it has a cute girl and two dragons and a castle. So, yeah. And mine's dark and scary. There we have it. <laughs> know who you are. Know who you are. All right. Well, why don't you tell us about yours then? 
All right. Well, I read um, Dark Waters by Catherine Arden, and it's actually, as I was telling you right before we started, it's the third book in the Small Spaces series. Yeah. So we talked about this series, apparently. I don't remember this, but I think we like briefly touched on it as like a scary story series coming out back in like one of our Halloween episodes, something like in the coming attractions category of our pick six. Anyway, I'm going to give you a little bit of, of, of information on this book. Mm-hmm. But I would say that if you have any interest in this, to go back to the first one, so you know what in God's name was actually happening. The first book in the series is called uh, Small Spaces. The second one is called Dead Voices. The third one is called Dark Waters. And then there's Empty Smiles coming out this year. Read the other two books first, if this is interesting to you, because you'll understand this story better. All right. So this book came out in 2021. As I said, it's part of the Small Spaces four book series. And those are all by uh, Catherine Arden. Okay. So the book follows these three friends, Ollie, which is short for Olivia, Coco, and Brian. Now, what I know is this at the beginning, Ollie's mom has been killed in a plane crash. Apparently this happened before any of the trilogies occurred, right? Her mom has been killed in a plane crash, but somehow her mother from the dark side or the other side or wherever she is, is seems to be communicating with her through her digital Casio watch. Oh, wow. I'm going to stop there. So every so often her Casio watch will ping a word Wow, and that will help her, right? I'm going to go out and see if I can find my Casio watch from 1986 and see if my dad's going to like hang out. Maybe my dad has been trying to talk to me for like 40 years and I had no idea. Ghosts um, are really in right now in middle grade. I've noticed like all these yeah. books have like a ghost character somehow into them and them. I'm not a scary book fan, but I thought like, you know, it's like kind of compared my librarian compared it to R.L. Stein. So I was like, okay, that sounds pretty good. And I didn't read a lot of R.L. Stein because it well, obviously he wasn't out when we were kids, but I just never read a lot of that. So I thought it'll be fine. This book scared me like nobody's business. And I don't know if it scared me because it just like got all my my paranoia, like all your fears. Yes. I'm scared of water. I'm scared of dark water. I'm scared of things that lurk beneath the water. I'm scared of getting marooned on an island. P.S. All those things just happened in the book. So there we go. (laughs) So anyway, three friends, Ollie, Coco and Brian, and then they soon add Phil to their team. And these kids apparently began with the scarecrows. That's where they met the smiling man. So all we know is that he's, they've been in a battle with the smiling man, according to the book. At this point, they outwitted him once when he turned their class into scarecrows, but then he left with a promise and said, until next time. So that's all we know. All right. We start the beginning of the book at Mount Hemlock Resort in Vermont, and that's where Brian's family lives. Brian's family rents an inn, and the kids are hanging at the inn. They're reading up on ghost stories. They're trying to do research, but we don't know what the research is for and um, there's a small mention to the smiling man. So the assumption is they're trying to figure out who the smiling man is or what the smiling man does. Then all of a sudden, his parents go out for pizza. The parents go out to pick up the pizza for the kids. Boom, the lights go out. Something's trying to get in the door. Everything is, you know, very heightened, very scary. Uh, I, again, scared of the dark, scared of power outages, scared of having someone speak in my door. Was not doing well with this scene from the beginning. I was like, ah. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, boom, it's over. The parents come home and the parents find a black dot on the front step. Oh, very pirate. With a message on the back. So there we got the pirates going in, right? So we got the pirates just like the pirate mark of death. It's very sort of treasure islandy and everything. So the kids try to put it out of their mind. They try to figure out what it says, but then they're like, well, we know it's probably from the smiling man. We'll just kind of like, it'll happen when it happens and then we'll learn to deal with it. Coco's mom, 
decides that um, she can take them all on a boat trip on the weekend. It's spring in Vermont, so it's very cold and rainy, and they all want to get out. She's going to take them on a boat trip on Lake Champlain. <laughs> Our famous lake. Where I know. So many how many times have we been on there? It's crazy. <laughs> so she's going to take them on a boat trip because she's a writer, and she's doing a story on Vermont's very own Loch Ness Monster that lives, supposedly, that lives in there. And the, uh, it's Champ. The name is Champ this time around. And so the kids all go, but Brian's parents can't go because they have to get ready to open the inn. So Brian goes, Coco's mom goes, and then Ollie and her dad. And when they get on the boat, Brian's former best friend, Phil, they used to be BFFs, but then things went awry after the whole scarecrow incident. Phil happens to be the first mate because his uncle runs the ship. So it's very tense and we, you know, we have to, we have to work through and get Phil back on the team. And Phil finally does come around and everything's fine. He comes around once the ship's been attacked by a giant sea monster. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Love it. I mean, we all come around when we've been attacked by a giant sea monster. (laughs) The crazy thing is, is that a strange mist develops, it drives them off course. And suddenly there's an island that even the ship's captain. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly it. There's an island that even the ship's captain or Gilligan did not see on the map. And they try to figure out what it was. And then the attack comes and they are all marooned. Well, not all. Some people don't quite make it. Um, Their survivors are marooned on the island. Once they get there, they soon find out, which was the most, I'm going to spoiler alert this because this was the most terrifying part for me. So if you don't want to hear my spoiler, I'll need you to fast forward. And go. Uh, Yeah, the freaking sea monster can come on land and climb trees. So, hello, the sea monster snake thing can't only just eat them in the in the water. It can come on land and hunt them. There are so many levels of terror in my in, in this at this point. Um, so Brian leads them through. This is supposed to be Brian's story, but it, Brian doesn't seem to be as important as anybody else. Apparently, Brian like was going to save them all with his survival skills, and he kind of did, but he wasn't as important in the book as he should have been, my opinion. Um, as they're like looking for firewood and everything, they find this guy with an axe and a couple of skulls and some skeletons, and they're like, "Hey, well, of course he's a ghost. They know he's a ghost from the beginning because they've run into ghosts in other places." is where the smiling man has been, where the smiling man has marooned other people and and turned them into scarecrows or whatever else he does. So um, then they have to finally kind of get the ghost to help them get on their merry way and get off the island because they have no radios and they have nothing. But the biggest thing is they have to get the surviving parents to believe them. And that's a really hard one because of of course, Coco's mom is like, okay, whatever. Of course, (laughs) the smiling man. And then, of course, she sees the sea monster. She's like, hey, guess what? You weren't lying. All right. So I have to say, I mean, I would like to go back and read the first one. I'm probably too wussy to read it because this one really was too scary for me. Honest to God. (laughs) I don't like scary things. And it was too scary for me. Um, If you're a lower middle grade kid who really likes scary things, then this is a great book for you. It doesn't have like complex vocabulary or anything like that. So I wouldn't say it needs to go with an older kid. It's just a little scary. The whole point of the kids is trying to get, uh, you know, to define the black dot. So you're, you know, you're kind of rooting for them. But then at the end, what happens doesn't tie up the story. It just sets up the next book. I, I'm not a fan of a book in a series that really basically just makes you buy the next book. Yeah. I like closure. And then maybe, oh, I want to, maybe I want to see what happens next because I want that to be another story. Right. Yeah. You're kind of weaving in a little bit of what's going to setting up next. Yeah. Maybe it's a great trilogy or quadrology or whatever you want to call it for books in a series. But I, I wish I would have known more about what happened before to get a better understanding. I think I would have enjoyed the book more. I think I would have been clearer on it. And I think it would have stood alone better if I had more backstory. That's Dark Waters. And it is part of, I'm going to actually give you the whole thing. It's part of the Small Spaces trilogy. 
it's the third book. So if you want to look, read about sea monsters eating your face off in the water or in the land, you can read about it. But I would say first read Small Spaces and Dead Voices and then read Dark Waters because then it'll be the third of the trilogy and you'll understand it better than I did. Cool. And you had another one, right? Yeah, I did. I snuck in another book, but it was really short. So after reading 400 pages, I was was going to say, I don't even know how you had time. (laughs) The second book I read was Pirate Queens, Dauntless Women Who Dared to Rule the High Seas. I saw this book. By Lee Lewis. And it's illustrated by Sarah Gomez-Willie, which the illustrations are amazing. It just came out like literally this month, 2022. Um, it's a short, just 60-page nonfiction and poetry collection. It's put out by National Geographic. So as you can imagine, the page layouts and artwork are amazing, just like the magazine, Nat Geo Kids. Um, the artist, Wooly, did an extraordinary job of creating dark comic book style images of the six famous pirates that were highlighted by Lewis. Um, Lewis says she decided to write this book when she asked her daughters to name some pirates, and they named only men. And this continued as she asked more children the names of pirates, and they were all men. And she pointed out that a famous Chinese woman became a pirate who presided over a fleet of 80,000 people. I heard of her. She was tough. Yeah. And when the most famous pirate that most people think of, Blackbeard, he only reigned over 400 men. Uh-huh. So, I mean, so in Pirate Queens, Lewis crafted sort of unique poems for each pirate, which I loved because I felt like it was giving them their own ballads. Yeah. Because they didn't have any. In addition, then she also has several pages of nonfiction text based on thorough research about each of these women. It's a super quick read, obviously, 60 pages, and there's not a lot of text. Not G- if you know Nat geo kids there's not a lot of text involved but short to the point you get exactly a feel for each character and you know any kid who loves pirates girl or boy i think would be really into this book it gives you such interesting uh, historical information it really reminded me though of i've read janet yolen's sea queens yolen's a really famous children's book author she did all the how do dinosaurs like clean the rooms? How do oh, dinosaurs yeah, yeah, say yeah, goodbye? Yeah, yeah. yeah, all those books. And she's written a lot of like fractured fairy tale stuff. But um, she had a book called Sea Queens that came out in 2010. But she first started writing about women pirates in 1963. She wrote a book called Pirates in Petticoats. It's good to keep updating these stories, even though there's similar books out there, because scholars are constantly now discovering and uncovering new information about women just in history in general, because they were not documented as well as men were. So it's so great because I feel like now they can add new details or more stories are coming out. And uh, that's sort of what this author, Lewis, capitalized on with Pirate Queens. I thought it was interesting, too. She had a couple of pages she wrote at the beginning kind of about what inspired her to write it. And then also made it clear that she wasn't trying to glorify the violence and criminal activity of pirates. But she felt compelled to show that women also had a complicated history. You know, and it's not just men who have done some of the terrible things in our history. And so I thought that was really interesting. I love that, too, because we like so many times it's always glossed over that, you know, women don't there's no violent women. I mean, I mean, I think it's it's fair that. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the majority of murders are committed by 
men, but well, um, right. you know, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of women that have done bad things too. And I think it's important to keep it real. If you're going to keep it real, as far as like everything that women have done, that's, that's, you know, been overlooked, that's good. Let's look at everything that women have done. That's been overlooked. That's also bad. It's only fair. It's so great to see that modern scholars now are digging through and finding all this new information. Um, and this is really a, like definitely well-researched and it gives a lot of um, sources for the information. One of my favorite pirates was Sella, which I've actually read about her before, but I really wanted to point out that Lewis's poem about her was so cool because Sella's whole story is basically she became a pirate because she her brother became king and she didn't think it was fair because she thought she was better than he was and she wanted to be the queen. And so she got mad and just left his kingdom and became a pirate and plundered all of his his ships. And uh, so they had like this huge rivalry. And the poem that Lewis wrote is a back and forth poem between Sella and her brother Collar. And it's really kind of cool. Where was she from? What country did she come out of? Norway. And then also it's really neat because it shows like there's a map that shows where they all like operated uh, their their circuit basically some of mm-hmm. the some of the pirate women pirates were protecting like port cities from being attacked and things like that but they all have a different story of how they got started and why they were doing what they were doing but yeah i thought it was fascinating it was super easy to read i would love to have this in a classroom like a i was just gonna say yeah classroom okay because I, I'm, I'm going to order it now because we're getting ready to study pirates with my little homeschool nugget. We're oh, taking yeah. a, we're taking a class. We just signed up for a class of um, ancient weaponry, how to Ooh, handle ancient cool. weapons. Yes, they, they, they work on that. Yeah, he's, uh, he's got some bougie classes. That one, um, you know, we had the pirate museum on the Cape, the Witta, and he absolutely loved it. And when you come to visit me, we can go to the pirate museum because they, you can go on the pirate on the Witta and everything. The Witta was the uh, was a pirate ship that went off went down off the coast of Cape Cod. And if you're old and you are old like us, you remember um, uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. was really instrumental. Like he was um, a big diver that would go down and help them to try to recover it. He's because he, of course, you know, it went off the coast of Hyannis. We all know the Kennedys are off of Hyannis. Right. So he would he was always diving with the crew to try to bring them back. And it's so fascinating. And my kids love pirates. I love the science behind how they bring the stuff back because mm-hmm. you can't just bring I mean, things oh, that have been calcified the and they can't yeah. just bring it out of the water and you walk, you get to walk to the lab in the pirate museum and everything. So that is so cool. fascinating. They found the shoes of one of the pirates who was like eight. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really cool. So this would be such a great book to read. Hey, here's the other version. Here's the female. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's just in addition to the other stories because these stories have been left out. So yeah, you combine them. And so that they're in there too. There is a Turkish pirate. Her name was Artemisia. The first. Of course there was. I know. That, so he might that like that perfect. one. He would, he would <laughs> so be into that one. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to get that book. I like that one. So that's Pirate Queen's Dauntless Woman, Women Who Dared to Rule the High Seas by Lee Lewis and illustrated by Sarah Gomez Woolley. Nice. Yes. The illustrations are amazing and dark. Pirates are cool, huh? Ironically, when I lived in Turkey... I would always talk about the pirates. Obviously, we only had like Asian and European news. Like on CNN Turk, 
they were oftentimes talking about the pirates. There were a lot of pirate problems. Isn't that then the whole, what was that movie Tom Hanks was in? Captain, whatever. That happened when I lived in Turkey, right? Midway through all the pirate problems, the pirates off the coast of Somalia. I then learned when I moved back to America that like my family thought I was joking. They all thought that they thought I was like making jokes when I would say like, oh, the pirates are bad. Be careful, you know, or like they would always say things about it. And I'd be like, well, you know, there's a pirate attack. And they thought I was joking. I was like, (laughs) so the American news never covered the pirates, apparently. And they didn't think they were actually real pirates. They thought it was just me like being outlandish again. I'm like, are you kidding me? Pirates are real. Pirates are real. And then they made the Tom Cruise or Tom Cruise, Tom, uh, Tom Hanks movie. So I guess that was validated. Anywho. All right. That's a lot of pirate talk. Aren't you glad I did it? (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. Oh, wait, I got another one. What? Just real quick before we go, before you take a quick break. Oh, no. What? Where did the pirate purchases hook? No idea. The secondhand store. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Stop now. Okay. Is that your last bad mom pirate joke? Maybe. (laughs) The secondhand store. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our pick six. Six ways to survive the rest of this epically long winter. All right. Welcome back. Um, So we've got some survival techniques for the winter blahs that we wanted to share with you what we're doing to get through winter. So Bargy, you want to give us your first one? I don't know if I'm surviving. Can we just tell the, like, I don't know if these actual survival techniques are actually working. I don't feel like I'm surviving. I feel like I'm like maybe on the brink of insanity. I've spent a lot of time there. So anywho, anyway, while I'm on the brink of insanity, what I've been doing is baking bread with my little nugs. I love to bake bread. And here's the thing. When you bake bread, you have to keep your house warmer. And then the process of baking bread I always put it like in front of the fireplace to rise because I feel like a pilgrim woman that way. But I also, it keeps your house a little bit warmer. And also there's like nothing to make you happier than the smell of baked bread. I agree. And you got to crank that sucker up to 400 for a little while. So it warms up your house. So bread baking is my thing. Last week, my nugs and I made pretzels. We studied the history of the pretzel for school. We, we studied pretzels. We studied like pretzels in Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania and all this stuff. And then he learned how to roll them and how to shape them and that they're shaped like that because they came from monks and monks wanted them to look like little praying arms. He did like, you know, you have to kind of like stretch the dough and, and twirl it to jump like a jump rope. And I, I mean, there was dough all over my kitchen. He lost <laughs> control it. quite often, but yeah, we made pretzels. And then next week, our science, part of our science is we're making our first sourdough starter oh. on that. So that's a very pandemic thing to do. That's our jam. I know, right? Well, you know, basically it's the same thing all over again. I used to make uh, pretzels with my son and when he was like preschool age and we would make letters out of them, you know, like practices letters. Yeah, Yeah, it was really fun. And then we'd bake them and eat them. It was really fun. We wouldn't do like the full pretzel thing. We would just make the ones where you can shape them and bake it like the easy version, (laughs) you know? Oh no, we boiled ours in, in water and everything. It was insane. It was insane. I love it. He likes it. He <laughs> likes making bread. He's really into it. So Aww. it's so funny because I feel like that's everyone's comfort right now is something baked or pastries or bread or whatever. My son just found a brand new French pastry store. And so he was like, let's go check it out. And so I was like, sure. It was a gloomy gray day. Wouldn't have to ask to me twice. I know. <laughs> I was like, sure. I mean, it was like a 30 minute drive, but we were like, whatever, who cares? So we went there. And we got there, it was probably like one or two in the afternoon. 
and they are, we're open till six, but we walk in and keep in mind, this place has been open 18 days. There's no sign. We walk in and they have a huge case, uh, you know, bakery case. That's like at least five feet tall and probably 10 feet long or more completely empty. And the woman behind the counter, she goes, yeah, I know we're, we got sold out. (laughs) Oh my God. And I was like, what? How long have you been open? She, you know, and she tells me the story and they're the sweetest couple. I said, oh, I guess you have to get here early. And she's like, oh no, don't come early. I was so scared this morning. There were so many people here. Wow. And even while we were there, there were like people that still would stopping and getting out of the car, coming in, seeing that they had nothing. And I was like, wow. So they had like a few cookies left. So we bought some of those. So it wasn't a completely wasted trip, but I was like, you know, this is legit French pastries when wow. it was completely sold out. But that was is it in fun. Indianapolis. It's on the South side. Yeah. So wow. it was kind of fun because I was like, everybody's needing a little comfort pastries right now. So, right. I told you, well, my son and I, yesterday we made a, a, um, chocolate stout bunt cake, bunt cake with chocolate ganache. Wow. Ganache makes everything better. Like that's it. All you need is ganache and and buttercream. (laughs) Buttercream. Oh, peanut butter, buttercream. Stop. Okay. This is hashtag. This is why I'm fat. Anyway, (laughs) fat and happy. All right. So what about you? What are you doing to survive besides tracking down pastries? Okay. So I've talked about this before because I'm you know, I'm all about all things Scandinavian. That's my family's heritage, but I'm still into Huga, which is a Danish way of life, basically. And I don't know, the best way to describe it is like, it's all about coziness. Like you were saying, the furry blanket by the fireplace with a hot cup of hot chocolate or tea or something yeah, and, and enjoying a good book. Those are coping skills that people who live in dark, (laughs) dark winter places use to get through winter. And I just love it. Like it's all about like nice socks and a nice sweater and maybe candles burning and different things like that. And, um, I just love it so much. So I usually try to do some of those practices through January and February when I start to get, you know, just a little blue. Yeah. So that's a good one that always works for me. You should get a happy light to put on too. We have, that's what we call it. The vitamin Do you have one? Of course we do. I have a Mediterranean husband. He can't deal with this. Right. I mean, a lot of people around here talk about that too. I know that's really popular, but for me, if I have a, if it's a gloomy day and the sun's not shining, which it is a lot of the time in January in Indiana, um, if I have a fire going or some candles, even that usually will just park me up. Yeah. It's amazing what a fire does. Really? And, and I know that I'm, it's nice to be able to have a fireplace and all that. It's nice. So yeah, I take advantage of it for sure. And you can tell like when you go outside, all the neighbors have fires going. So you can yeah, smell it, it so in the good, whole neighborhood. Right? Yeah, it's great. We have a, a fireplace insert, which is pretty epic because, you know, we had that tree fall on our house and oh, we have yeah. so many trees and so many windstorms that it's really like here where we live. It's not even like, a, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity because you really do have ridiculous amounts of wood to get rid of. Right. And it saves so much money from for us. I mean, our our um electrical costs and heating costs and gas and all that stuff. It saves a ton. So nice. Yeah. I like it. I like all it. Right. What's what's your next survival technique? Okay, so um the boys and I have been playing lots of games. Nice. And especially the little nugget and I. We've been playing a lot of games for homeschool. We've been doing a lot of like game theory. I I'm a big fan of game theory and education. Yes. We've been playing Blocus, which is awesome and epic. And now he's like some sort of, um, it's like a, it's like a pool shark with Blocus. He like cons people in. He's eight for God's sakes. He like cons people into <laughs> he's playing. He's got a poker and then, face. 
He does. And then he like smacks you down and then is like, booyah. I was like, oh my God, who are you? So we played that one a lot. What is it again? I've never heard of that one. Blocus. It's all about angles and and strategy. Yeah. Yeah, We used it for math and he loves it. He's really good. Uh, We play Upwards with him. Upwards was around in the 80s and then it disappeared. And a new version has come back and it is the best thing if you're working on consonant vowel consonant sounds or you're working on just like word building and stuff like that. It's such a great homeschool game for little kids. And then the older one and I go gets ugly. My my almost 14-year-old and I play it sometimes too. And it gets really ugly. Like, because you have to build words off of other people's words, but your letters can stack. Ooh, wow. So it's got a lot of it's there's a new version that just came out, I think oh, just a year ago, maybe. And that's kind of like an update for the next generation kind of a thing. And it's a really good one too. And bananagrams, of course, is my favorite one. And, yeah. and pickup sticks and all those things. But we just got this one called the Scrambled States of America. And uh my little guy is you he's lurking working on um states and capitals and all that kind of stuff in school because he's really into that. It is so fun. I would highly recommend it. It's a great educational game, but it's also a lot of fun. Basically, it's like a card game and you have to, it gives you questions like it gives you the state, the name of the state, and then its nickname, and then maybe some other information. And then you turn over a card and it'll be like, which state only has three vowels in its nickname? So then you're suddenly like out of the five states you have, you have to kind of figure out who gets it first. So it's a really fun game. And it's, I, I don't know. I like educational games, Yeah, but we've been doing a lot of games like that. And it's, it's fun. It's a good way to pass the time and you can't go outside. And my kids are like total sports nuts. So you got to keep, find something to kind of take their competitive edge off. So that's what we've been doing games. And then Aunt Hehe sent a nice um, indoor tennis kit with a skoosh ball years ago. That gets a lot, a lot of action in our house right now. So you, we play tennis with a koosh ball that something you, I think you sent it to the older one. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's still living strong and it's getting a lot, it. a lot of workout, a lot of workout. So that's what we've been doing. We've been playing games, playing games. All right. What about you? Okay. Well, the best way to enhance your huga, like your cozy feeling is that you have the, have to do the opposite. You have to spend time outside in the cold or you have to do like a hard project. Then you get the full benefits of huga. I reject that. <laughs> already rejected. Keep going, but I'm already rejecting it. So I do get outside every day in most weather. I do too, but not by choice. Because I walk, I do walk my dog every day. I try to. And I just got this book. I think it came out in like 2018. So it's not brand new, but I'm super excited about it. It's called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. And it's by Linda McGurk. And she lives in Indiana, but she is Swedish. So she's a transplant. She married an Indiana dude. And they live here and they're raising their kids here. And she started to notice when she moved here and started having kids, how weird people were about being outside in winter. Yes. Like she would walk her kids to school. She walks her kids to school, even in winter. And people like she noticed this one woman came up to her at a PTO event was like, I just, I just feel so, I don't know what to do. I, I see you walking your kids to school and I just wish I could do something for you. And she didn't really understand what was happening and why this woman was saying this to her. And then she said she got home and she realized, oh, they think I don't have a car. They think I'm, I have to walk to school in the cold with my children. And it's really bothering like the women in the community. And like, she's had people pull over and ask her if she wants a ride and all this stuff. And she's like, no, they can be outside, you know, cause she comes from. Yeah. The tundra. Right. And winters are 
really hard on people there. And she still, she says like, if they've had a really bad winter in Sweden, like her friends will be like, yeah, we're all losing our minds here, but they're very aware of the fact that being outside helps with this. And maybe they can't tell you why, but they know it does. And so Swedish people are almost like feel guilty if they don't spend time outside with their kids and they all feel really compelled to be outside at least for a little bit every day. I feel this too. Like, like I said, when we were skiing on Friday, like I just felt so good. And again, it was a sunny day. So that always helps. And I've um, kind of invested in some good warm gear, you know, and, and cause I kind of had done that like during the pandemic, I'm like, okay, I definitely need to get outside and walk my dog, whether the weather is bad or not. And so I have some night, like a heavy winter coat and some nice boots and stuff. And honestly, I've never been cold. And I don't take the dog out if it's like super, super cold, I will say, because I don't want her to have problems, you know, her little paws get frozen or something. But I have never been cold if I'm dressed appropriately. And that's basically like this whole Swedish concept is there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. And so that's what her, this whole book is about. Yeah, people in Maine say that too, but they also drink a lot. So, <laughs> well, you know, so do the Swedes, it's fine, <laughs> but like, I don't know. I'm just really into this book. I just started reading it last night because I just got it yesterday and uh, I'm loving it. The worst part about going outside is when you're inside and you're like, oh, I just can't do it. I can't go out there. You know, you look out the window and you're like, oh, it looks so miserable. But I, I have to say every time I've made myself go out and I'm outside, I always feel great when I'm outside. You're a better person than me. You're a better person. I just can't. (laughs) Honest to God, I was better about going outside when I was living in Indiana than I am living in New England. And it's not that it's that much worse. It's just, you know what it is? It's also like, there's nowhere to go. I was going to say, you don't have sidewalks where you are. No, we don't have sidewalks. We don't really have any, yeah, there's nowhere to walk unless, because nobody's going to plow. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's nowhere to walk. There's nowhere to go. And I can make a million excuses. And again, hashtag, this is why I'm fat, but I'm okay with that because I'm, I'm using that body fat to survive right now. I do. I mean, you know, I go out, I go out to take the kids to school. I pick the kid up. I do all that sort of stuff. And the nug still goes to all of his things too. You know, we have to go to piano. We have to go to our bougie play throwing class. We're out all the time, (laughs) Yeah, but it doesn't mean I have to enjoy it. So. All right. I'll forgive you for that. (laughs) All right. I'll try to rethink. I'll try to reframe it. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe I'll drink more. Uh (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my last one is of course, murder. I love murder and my kids think it's hilarious. But now the little one, as I've said before, he likes to watch murder with me Um, and a good show. Like if we're watching television or something and there is an ad for like an upcoming movie about murder or something like you're going to watch that one, mom. Of course I am. Of course I I love murder. Um, And I listen to all my murder podcasts and things like that. But, uh, you know, I've gone really old school lately and I've gone back to like uh, 48 hours, 2020 and Dateline. I haven't like visited these in years. So now I'm catching up and I love them all. But I also have been sort of trying to change it up with my reading. Now I read murders that take place in warm places. Oh, that's smart. Right? So now, usually I like to read my murder. A good murder usually takes place somewhere cozy. A good cozy mystery takes place somewhere. That's like, you know, I like the good ones that happen in cozy little places, nooks and crannies. But I started reading this one. The girls over on the Prosecco and Prose podcast, you have to tune into them because they uh, love a good book. And they turned me on to this book last week. And I was like, oh, this looks really good. And I ordered it immediately. And of course, I have not yet put it down, except to read the Dark Waters book, which then got me scared. But I was like, <laughs> I sent you that text. And I'm like, something's wrong. I can't finish the middle grade book I'm reading because it's too scary. But yet two women 
hiding dead bodies in Chile is not seeming to bother me at all. And I can read that one before bed. Um, but this is this book called We Were Never Here by Andrea Bards. Oh, tropical, tragic. It's a, it's a really good one. And that one, the girls, like I said, the girls on Prosecco and Prose um, podcast talked about that one and now I'm sucked in. So go listen to some of these book podcasts and you'll get some really great ideas for some good reading to read by the fire. I love it. That's so smart to read like books set in tropical places in the winter. That's brilliant. So smart. Yeah. And I've been looking like, uh, what is that? Murder in, what's the one that, that plays Murder in Paradise? Death in Paradise? Gets it. Death in Paradise. Death in Paradise. Yeah, that's a good one. It just makes you feel a little better. It does. And I love the cast on that show. And yeah, the beautiful, I've looked up that island before. I'm like, where is this place recorded? Because I want to go visit it. <laughs> and what's your last one? Oh, my last one is, okay, so we always like to learn new things. And that sort of got a, got me, especially through the pandemic the last couple of years, is just kind of finding new things to learn. One time I remember I was reading this thing about how your family should have a mission statement. <laughs> was yes. t- that was on Sister Wives too, before Cody started <laughs> to be really bad and all the Sister Wives didn't want to be married to him anymore. But go on. They spent like four episodes one season writing a family mission statement. But then again, when you have four wives and, and like That's true. 17 thousand children you you might need a lot that. you guys are like a family of three <laughs> it's gonna be way easier like one episode maybe yeah I have my two guys we sat down for like five minutes and I was like well this is what I think it would be <laughs> because I know us all so well and basically I feel like our mission statement is to always be learning we're always learning new things we all love to do that um and so anyway that's who we are and you know we have that piece of property in Indiana that we bought. And my husband is- Oh my become- God, are you going to tell us you're going to be homesteaders? Please tell me you're going to be homesteaders. Please tell no, me, please tell me. It's, it's, oh. be- it's a little bit even more amazing. Okay. So my husband became obsessed with um, researching who owned that property oh, like, God, throughout history because it doesn't really seem like anyone lived there. There's like an old homestead site, but not really like anything. No one's lived there for a really, really long time. And so he kind of became obsessed with digging into like the land deed documents and all this kind of stuff. He discovered that a lot of it was handed out to like soldiers who fought in battles and stuff for the United States government. A lot of them, though, like never even did anything with it because they lived in other places. But the very first person he found any information about, there was a newspaper article that came up and it said murder in. (laughs) Yeah. And so one of the guys who owned our property way back when in the 1800s was murdered. I know there's this whole article about it and it was amazing. So then that got us all on a kick of wanting to know like who all lived there and all their stories and all this stuff. And my husband bought this, found this book called, if you don't outdie me, and it's the legacy of this area. And um, it was written by Dylan Buston, actually, who lives in Boston. So I'm like, when I come out to visit you. Of course. There you go. You're like, Franzi, I am. Yeah, we might have to track him down. But it's all about, so in the 1920s and kind of through the 30s, there's this famous photographer named Frank Hohenberger. He went to this area to to photograph beautiful, bucolic, scenic trees and hills and all that stuff. But he got to know the people and sort of became obsessed with them. And he started photographing the people and like taking notes on their conversations and what was going on with all of them. And then he actually wrote uh, like a column for the Indianapolis paper about these people. And it created this whole like interest in the area and people would go there like 
drive there and, and try to find these people and stuff is really crazy. So this book is a collection of it's the photograph of like each of these people will be in the book and then a whole like 10 or so pages about each person, five to 10 pages about each person and their history and what this famous photographer said about them. And it is amazing. These people are so amazing and have so unique and have the craziest stories. And we've just been having so much fun finding out about them. It is a blast. And it's in your area where you bought the property. Yes. No one in the photographer's stories actually lived on our property. I really don't think that many people have lived there, honestly. Well, apparently they've died there. Don't be the next. He wasn't murdered on the property. We did find that out. I'm like, please don't tell me he was murdered on the property. Yeah, what he if was it was not. like cursed or something? Though? He was murdered. He went to uh, like a Christmas party at a mill and there was this crazy drunk guy there who basically beat him to death. <laughs> It was well, like, that happens. Yeah, it was I mean, like a okay. crazy story. So anyway, I'm obsessed with finding out more about the people in this area. And I have to say, it's like got my creativity wheels going and everything. I mean, it's just so much fun. So now you're trying to figure out who's going to, who died in your, in your well. Yeah. <laughs> who's buried on our property. There could be what bones. That's awesome. All right. So we're, we're going to try to survive. We hope you guys survive too. I hope you you all make it out alive. All of you out there trying to. I hope you, I hope if you're listening, you're living somewhere warm. Although right now, like winter's going pretty far south in the United States. I know. So. There are people that live warm places. I can't imagine what that would be like. I, it's like the other day I was like, I wonder what it would be like to like go somewhere in January, walk outside and not have to put 17 layers on. I've never lived in well, that world. I mean, I lived in Southern California for a while and I miss the seasons, but you know, obviously you and I don't agree on winter in general, but I like winter. I just don't like the way it hangs on. Right. Like in Indiana, you know, what? it was nice. Even in Philadelphia, it was the same way, like especially and in Turkey, winter would be done like March. Right. March would start spring and it would get nice. And you're like, oh, look, we can go outside. Not here, man. We're still snowing and through April. So it's so long here. And the thing is that the hard part about winter in New England is that so many places shut down. So every place that you are kind of used to going, like the Cape shuts down. My nugs and I spend a ton of time on the Cape and it pre- most of it just sort of like closes down. It's done. And you're kind of like, wah, wah, wah. so many places are just, that's it. We're done. Pack it up and move out for the, for the season. And that's so hard because you live here all the time. You're like, no, I want to do something. I want to go somewhere. Right. I get that. Yeah. That would be a bummer. Yeah. I mean, California was weird too, though, because nothing was set up for cooler weather. So like in the winter, I always felt cold there because like nobody had furnaces or anything. That's how it was in Turkey. Yes. Yeah. Same thing. Nobody had a hurt heat because they weren't used to it. Right. And it wouldn't really be cold there, but it would just be, you know, cooler than hot summertime. So yeah. And it would yeah. be like in the fifties, but it would be like wet and damp. And yes, that was it. Like, oh, that was terrible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're so whiny. All right. We are. All right. So for our next episode, we're time traveling. Woo, fun. We are. We, we're we're going to time travel. And what are you doing? I'm reading Operation Do-Over by Gordon Corman. And it's about, it's kind of STEMI. I think it's about science nerds. So I'm excited about that one. Well, it's so interesting. I didn't know that. That's what it was about because I'm reading Da Vinci's Cat. By Ooh. Catherine Gilbert Murdoch. And hello, Da Vinci. He's very STEMmy. Yeah. Well, like you know, the great, time great, travel. great, great grandfather of STEM. So excellent. Steam. Actually, he's steamy because he's got art in there. So if you could time travel, where would you go? Ooh, that's a good question. I definitely would hit like pioneer times in the United States. Oh, God, for some of course reason. you would. You are so Laura Ingalls. <laughs>
You are. I'm totally going to go back. I'm going back, back. I want to go back to the Ottomans or something good. Ooh. I want to hang with Genghis Khan because I feel like he got a bad rap. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he could. He and I could hang. I, I want. I'm going back, back. I'm going to be a Mongolian. I would be. Um, I would be interested to see the Incan times just to see what their society was so advanced, and then they just kind of disappeared. And I think that's fascinating. I see. I just want to go back and kill people. <laughs> Like, I'd like to be a Viking or I'd like to go back to like, you know, like Genghis Khan and be a hun or like, you know, but yeah, that's just me. I apparently I have like some pent up violence I need to address, I guess. <laughs> Winners are really getting to you. <laughs> right. My Viking side is coming out. All right. All right. Well, that would be awesome. We're looking forward to those. We're going to time travel right out of here. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up this episode. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review, subscribe and share us. We'll love you forever. Um, unless it's a bad review, then, you know, then I'm going to Genghis Khan all over you. Oh my <laughs> God. I'm so ragey. If you want to join us twice a month for kid-led discussions like these and, you know, whatever else we talk about, crazy stuff, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And if you want to know what's happening, you can follow us on Two Lit Mamas podcast on Instagram or Two Lit Mamas on Facebook and on our website, www.2TW litmamas.com. Have a great week. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.